0: The green global elites are aiming for total food control. Their power grab, which is now most evident in Holland, threatens the entire planet, including the United States. I know that might seem like an exaggeration, but wait till you see what the details are. I'm Adam McManus, in for Kevin Swanson on this edition of Generations Radio. Dr. Calvin Beisner is my guest, founder of the Cornwall Alliance for the Stewardship of Creation at Cornwall Alliance dot org and we're basing our conversation today on two articles from the new american written by william jasper the first of which is entitled no farmers no food and the second biden's war on farmers right now the dutch government is cracking down on farmers specifically dr Biesner, what's going on there
1: the dutch government has bought into the notion that emissions of carbon dioxide and methane are causing catastrophic global warming that's gonna bring just terrible, terrible existential threat to humanity around the world. And so one of the things that they want to do is to uh, cut down on emissions of methane on the notion that that's going to reduce that global warming in a significant way. First off, that's not going to happen. Methane's contribution to global warming is measured in ten thousandths of a degree, not not in two or three or four degrees or anything else. And second, the Dutch contribution total to world methane emissions is minute as well, so you might as well figure it's going to be measured in hundreds of thousands of a degree temperature. This is craziness, but it's craziness driven by an ideology, an ideology into which the vast majority of the environmental movement has bought. That ideology is that the world is best untouched by human hands. That nature is a very, very delicate place, but that if we would just minimize our impact on it, it would be a very nurturing place. Now, if you buy into that notion, you should be perfectly satisfied with the idea that somebody's going to drop you off in the middle of the Brazilian rainforest with no clothes, no tools, no friends, (laughs) no nothing, no cell phone to call for help, and you'll do just fine. No, you'll probably be dead within a few days. The world is not a naturally nurturing place. It needs to be subdued and ruled by human beings, obeying the mandate that we have in Genesis 1.28 to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and everything that moves on the face of the earth. And then We can make it nurturing. That's how a place like the Netherlands, a tiny country by comparison with so many others, can be the world's number two agricultural export nation. It's because its farmers have learned to subdue the earth and make it yield crops and livestock in a way that just puts most of the rest of the world to shame. Government wants to stop all this.
0: To point a fine point on that, the Netherlands is slightly larger than the state of Maryland, and yet second only to the United States, as you mentioned, in agricultural exports, which is 237 times larger than the Netherlands. Incredible. Well, BBC says that the Dutch government proposals for tackling nitrogen emissions indicate a radical cut in livestock. They estimate 1,200 farms will have to close and another 17,600 farmers will have to significantly reduce their livestock. I don't pay much attention to this particular issue, but I was reminded in my research that methane, the source of methane, comes from cows burping and tooting from both ends of the cow. I mean, it's almost laughable that this is supposedly going to hurt the environment when cows are just doing what cows do. (laughs) <laughs> yeah.
1: And and by the way, what you just read there, that the, the Dutch government proposals for tackling nitrogen emissions indicate a radical cut in livestock. Well, the reason for that is not that the livestock emit nitrogen. It's that you use nitrogen to fertilize the soil to make the grain that the cows need to eat feed the cows and then of course from that grain we get the methane after it's gone through the cows system but the nitrogen emissions they're uptight about those as well because yeah nitrous oxide is another so-called greenhouse gas well Uh, The problem is that whereas carbon dioxide is a significant contributor to global temperature, methane, which is measured in amounts, tiny fraction of CO2, is an insignificant contributor and nitrogen, nitrous oxide, is an even smaller contributor. So the Dutch want to reduce these two tiny, tiny contributors to global warming at the expense of reducing food production on which so much of the rest of the world depends. As you said, the Dutch are the number two exporter of agricultural products in the world behind only the United States. When they knock off 11,200 farms and have huge reductions in livestock in another 17,600 farms, that's gonna hurt food exports from Holland, from the Netherlands, and that's going to make a lot of hungry people all over the world.
0: This goes back to June of 1992 at the Earth Summit in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. More than 178 countries adopted Agenda 21. And if you hear the language of it, it sounds actually positive. A comprehensive plan of action to build a global partnership for sustainable development to improve human lives and protect the environment. But every one of those words is very loaded. The author of this New American article, William Jasper, says really this was United Nations speak or uh, spin on what was really going on. He says the Agenda 21, now its successor, Agenda 2030, is a totalitarian plan for complete control and regimentation of the entire planet and every person on it. So when they talk about sustainable development and protecting the environment and partnership, what should we understand these words to mean?
1: Well, sustainable development, of course, sounds good. I mean, who wants unsustainable development, right? I mean, it's, it's kind of like social justice. Who wants social injustice, right? So this is how you use terminology to sell ideas that you cannot sell in substance. Social justice turns out to be, well, we're going to take everything from people to whom it belongs and give it to people to whom it doesn't belong. Sustainable development turns out basically to mean no development. So social justice is no justice. Sustainable development is no development. Why (laughs) is that? Because because everything is upside down. Yeah, their fundamental framework is that nature is this delicate place best untouched by human hands so the best development for the sake of nature is no development human hands don't touch so okay they can't sell the idea that we don't want to touch the world i mean after all we pretty well have to do that um a hunter-gatherer lifestyle would sustain at best at very best no more than one or two people per square mile well global population density excluding antarctica you know forget about that not many people can live there but global population density is is more in the order of uh, 300 people per square mile well <laughs> if you want sustainable development and you think the only thing sustainable is no impact on the natural environment, then you need to want to reduce human population. That's exactly what happens when you essentially kill modern industrialized farming using chemical fertilizers and chemical pest controls and uh, using large farm equipment to improve crop yields. You can't do that and so-called sustainable development at the same time. Well,
0: Holland's farmers have taken to the streets with their turbines and tractors. I mean, it's been a major pushback on their part, objecting to this government power grab of their property and what they can do on their property. But Michael Schellenberger, founder of Environmental Progress, says the farmers actually have science on their side. According to statistics that the Dutch government has been keeping, they've seen the decline by 70% since 1990 in ammonia pollution from manure. How do we even get ammonia pollution and how have they dropped it? Well,
1: ammonia is uh, naturally in urine. I mean, it's in the urine of all mammals. And uh, so that's part of what comes out <laughs> when you feed cattle, when you feed hogs, when you feed chickens and so on. They all have ammonia in them and, and that ammonia is actually a helpful fertilizer. But because of changes in the feed that they're giving to their livestock, the farmers have, have managed to reduce that ammonia in their urine, you can say that's a good thing, but the Dutch want to just completely eliminate the nitrous oxide and ammonia pollution. That's not gonna happen because you cannot, in just basic biology, you cannot do that. The farmers are being realistic. They're saying, look, if you want people to be able to eat, they're gonna have to have livestock, they're gonna have to have crops. You force us to go even farther on this, we're going to have to start cutting into our actual production. Mm. That's not a good idea. You know, the one thing that the Dutch government and that the whole environmental movement is ignoring here is the fact that life is full of trade-offs. Whereas they want to reduce whatever risks there might be from climate change driven by the emission of greenhouse gases like CO2 and methane and nitrous oxide, those risks, well, okay, let's say they're real, but they are actually very small. The risks from poverty are far, far greater. Mm. And we can see that from one simple measure. Since 1900, the mortality rate from extreme weather events, floods, droughts, hurricanes, tornadoes, whatever you want to uh, point to, the mortality rate from extreme weather events has fallen by more than 98%, even at the same time that we've seen global average surface temperature rise by something on the order of about 1.8 degree Fahrenheit. Supposedly, that means that we should be having more and more severe extreme weather events. Turns out actually we haven't been. There's been no increase in the frequency or intensity of any such things. But according to the theories behind global warming alarmism, we should have had more of those. And that means we should have had more mortality from them. Instead, it's dropped by more than 98%. Why? Because the prosperity Enabled by the abundant, affordable, reliable energy that we get from fossil fuels and also some from nuclear and hydro, that energy enables us to produce food, clothing, shelter higher quality shelter, shelters, shelter that can withstand hurricane-force winds and tornado-force winds and, and better warning systems for when extreme weather is on the way. All of these things have contributed to the decline in mortality. In short, poverty is a far greater risk than climate change, and growing the economy in order to protect against climate risks is a far more rewarding, far more beneficial activity than anything we can do to slow climate change.
0: Before we talk about Biden's war on farmers in the upcoming segment, I just want to touch on two final points in this article entitled No Farmers No Food in the New American out in September. Number 1, Holland's former National Dairy Farmers Association chairman said this is really a sham issue fomented by the militant vegetarian and vegan activists war on meat so in many ways even if you take off the table the alleged contribution that these farms make toward global warming which you suspect is not true they really have a hostility to people eating meat don't they
1: yeah they do i mean this is part of the whole vegan and vegetarian animal rights sort of movement These folks think that anything that shows animated life as distinct from plant life needs to be given the same respect that we give to human beings. The former president of PETA, People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals, said a dog is a boy is a pig. There's no difference among those. When she was challenged about valuing animals more than people and someone had mentioned abortion. Her response was, we abort a million babies a year, but we slaughter 10 billion broiler chickens every year. Oh my. I mean, this is the kind of mentality. So you have, for example, Rajendra Pachauri, who was the chairman of the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change from about 2001 to 2019, I think it was. He is an Indian Hindu, and as a Hindu, he's a vegetarian, and he objects to anyone eating meat. So he was wanting to use the IPCC, which is the United Nations Main body for studying climate change to promote his commitment to vegetarianism. The result is we should eat nothing but plants. Or if we're going to eat anything that is animated, anything that breathes, well, let it just be bugs. Mm. Stop eating meat and uh, dairy, just eat bugs instead. And of course, what we learn from human history is that societies that eat very many bugs are societies that are very, very poor. Why? Because people don't naturally like bugs. They're not particularly (laughs) attractive. And because bugs have very, very low nutritive value compared with beef or dairy or uh, (laughs) legumes, things like that. So you only eat bugs as a last resort. Well, that's what the environmentalists want to push us back to, is last resort living.
0: This final point before we take a break, The Sri Lankan president was so excited about everyone jumping on the bandwagon of bans on any kind of chemical fertilizer that he implemented that in his island country. Mm -hmm. Overnight, it led to catastrophic results in that poor island nation, leading to food prices soaring, food riots ensued. He ultimately, but belatedly, reversed course, dropped the fertilizer ban. But the damage had been done, the nation's economy was in a tailspin, and hungry mobs stormed his palace. He had to flee the country. And this author, William Jasper, the New American, says that Sri Lankan's fate provides a sober warning of the calamitous impact of the schemes of the green elitists. It also provides a warning to the globalist masters of the universe that they may face the same fate, As this president.
1: Yeah, I mean, what happened there was the government ordered the cessation of the use of all chemical fertilizers and and the farmers there, including tea farmers who produce the uh, Sri Lanka's primary export, had to go back to just natural fertilizers, organic, so-called. Of course, everything with carbon in it is organic. That's uh, basic chemistry. But the result of that was that the crops failed. And the people became hungry and they became poor. When that happened, they finally rebelled and they essentially tore down the government. Sri Lanka has has got a long way ahead of it to recover from all of this. But similar things are beginning to happen even in Canada, our neighbor to the north, where Trudeau's government is trying to force similar policies on Canadian farmers. We're already seeing the beginnings of major farmer revolts up there same thing's going to happen here in the United States if the Biden administration really tries to press its aims to force farmers here to stop using the chemical fertilizers and pesticides that enable them to raise such huge amounts of food on such small amounts of land. There's an irony for you, Adam. Environmentalists supposedly care about the environment, you know, that's where they get their name, right? But what they want is for us to abandon the farming methods that enable us to feed lots and lots of people on very little land and go back to farming methods that can only feed lots and lots of people on lots more land. Mm. That's the exact opposite of what you would think that environmentalists really want if they cared about the environment. But what they really are is people who hate humanity, and they hate humanity because Human beings are made in God's image, and environmentalists have embraced a naturalistic worldview that rejects the Creator, worships the creature instead of the Creator, is driven into absurdity, into folly. Confessing themselves to become to be wise, they become fools, and they worship and serve the creature instead of the Creator, as Paul puts it in Romans chapter one, and that means they want to attack anything that looks like God. Well. Human beings are the image of God, and therefore they want to reduce human population. The top leaders of the world's largest environmental organizations think that the optimal human population would be, oh, 300 to 500 million people. That means we got to get rid of about 97% of us. Mm. Wow. Uh, this is not people who love their neighbors let alone love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength.
0: Dr. Calvin Beisner is my guest, founder of the Cornwall Alliance for the Stewardship of Creation. You can learn more at cornwallalliance.org, cornwallalliance.org. I'm Adam McManus in for Kevin Swanson. We welcome your emails at adam at theworldview.com. You're listening to Generations Radio. We'll be back on Biden's War on Farmers.
2: What happens when a culture that was established and guided by biblical principles abandons the faith and seeks to live by its own wisdom? In his latest groundbreaking work, Epic, The Rise and Fall of the West, Kevin Swanson unfolds the dramatic history of Western civilization, highlighting the phenomenal impact that Jesus Christ and his people have had upon the thought, culture, and institutions of the Christian West as well as tracing the slow but devastating decline of Western civilization and the key factors that have led to our spectacular fall over the centuries. A sobering narrative of gospel hope, this book urges its reader to greater fervency in the work of discipleship and the development of an international vision for the Church. This is truly a must-read for any Christian seeking to understand the times and seasons in which we live you can claim your hardcover copy of Epic: The Rise and Fall of the West by visiting generations.org/store today. That's generations.org/store.
0: Welcome back to Generations Radio. I'm Adam McManus, and for Kevin Swanson. Our guest today, Dr. Calvin Beisner, founder of the Cornwall Alliance for the Stewardship of Creation. We're talking about two articles in the recent September edition of The New American, written by William Jasper, the first of which was No Farmers, No Food, focusing on what's happening in Holland. Now we want to talk about a second article, Biden's War on Farmers. We have seen this dramatic skyrocketing increase in inflation because of Biden's multi-trillion dollars spendathon, thon creating new money out of thin air. Our grocery bills have just been terribly painful as we check out. We've seen a dramatic increase in the cost of meat, poultry, fish, eggs. And the Biden policies that we're looking at now and down the road are not going to help in that regard, are they?
1: No, there's certainly not. What Biden wants to do is to renew a regulation that the EPA attempted to enforce back under Obama, and that was to regulate dust on farms. Now, if you've ever spent any time on a farm, you know that dust is just part of life there. You drive the track through the field and you're cultivating a crop or you're harvesting a crop, and there's just dust everywhere. Well, on the basis of some bogus supposedly scientific studies, the EPA had argued that dust kills hundreds of thousands of Americans every year, dust in the form of what they call PM 2.5. That's particles that are 2.5 microns or smaller in diameter. That's a tiny fraction of the diameter of a human hair. And they said that this dust kills people. Hmm. Uh, And in fact, back at the time, the head of the EPA said that this PM2.5 doesn't just make people sick, it kills them. Well, at the same time though, the EPA was actually running experiments using people and exposing them to PM2.5 dust, literally in gas chambers. That is, they would put people in a chamber and then they would run a diesel truck and have its exhaust go into the chamber and see what was happening to these people. Well, (laughs) according to U.S. law and to the Nuremberg Code adopted after uh, the uh, Nuremberg trials in Germany following World War II, it's illegal to do medical experiments on anybody without that person's being properly informed of the risks, and without the experiment itself potentially helping that person's health. Well, according to the EPA, the experiment subjected these people to the high risk of death and had no benefit to them. So they were breaking American law and the Nuremberg Code. Well, as it turned out, the experiments found these people were not hurt, PM 2.5 doesn't hurt anybody. My good friend, Steve Malloy, who runs a website called JunkScience.com, wrote a whole book about this. It's a wonderful book called Scare Pollution. And it's all about how the EPA has used this bogus fear of PM 2.5 to try to control more and more of life, especially on farms. Well, the Trump administration got rid of that regulation. Why? Because it turns out it was based on so-called scientific work that was filled with conflict of interest. It was pretty much all paid for by the EPA itself seeking results that would support the EPA's intent to regulate. And under the Trump administration, the EPA had a new rule imposed on it that all scientific tests, all scientific research on which regulation would be based had to be done without conflict of interest and with no funding from the EPA. Well, the Biden administration reversed that and has returned EPA science to highly conflicted scientific research, and they're going after PM 2.5 all over again, and they're going to do huge harm to farms if they manage to get this done. Malloy well, wrote a whole book called Scare Pollution about that, and it is available from Cornwall Alliance's online store, cornwallalliance.org shop.
0: I was intrigued to learn that Biden's slogan, his campaign slogan, Build Back Better, is really a complete rip-and-read catchphrase handed to him by the World Economic Forum and the United Nations Propaganda Bureau. What does Build Back Better mean, and how does it dovetail into this notion of the Great Reset? Well,
1: the basic idea behind Build Back Better, which stretches clear back into the 1990s, is tied to the notion of, sustainable development. Sustainable development turns out to mean development that doesn't really develop. It turns out to mean trying to leave nature as untouched by human hands as possible. Anything else, according to their ideology, is not sustainable. So what we want to do under build back better is when a hurricane comes and wipes out a town, well, you build back better as in you don't build. You don't do something that really sustains. Now, that's not exactly how they're thinking. What they're insisting is, oh, you have to build something that is going to be more resistant to hurricanes. Well, that's a nice idea, but that's exactly what's already been happening. You don't need government regulation to do this. People do it as they get more prosperous. Problem is, the policies that these folks are pursuing to fight global warming slow economic growth, slow prosperity, and therefore make it more difficult for people to do exactly what they say they want to do, which is to build back better. So build back better turns out to be basically a self-defeating sort of a policy.
0: John Kerry, the climate czar for Joe Biden, told reporters in January 2021 something very revealing. He admitted that almost 90% of all the planet's global emissions come from outside U.S. borders, and even if America goes to zero tomorrow, the problem would not be solved, and we know that a lot of the culprits are China, India, Russia, which pay lip service while American taxpayers and consumers pay in real cash and lost freedoms. Speak to what John Kerry meant when he said if America went to zero emissions tomorrow, what would that actually mean in the American economy?
1: First off, what would zero emissions mean? It would mean we stop doing anything. I mean, we cease to exist. That's what would be required for us to have zero emissions. And Kerry was right. If we were to do that, it would make no significant difference whatsoever in global average temperature. Why? Because the rest of the world emits a whole lot more than America does and because the economies of China and India both are growing so fast and are depending so much on the very fossil fuels that the climate alarmists demonize that they will replace in a period of just a few years everything that America emits and then theoretically stops emitting. They will replace all of that and go far beyond it. As a matter of fact, one study was done. How much of a difference would it make in global average surface temperature if the UN Paris Climate Treaty were fully implemented by all of the countries that had made commitments under it? Commitments, by the way, that are not legally enforceable, that are voluntary intentions. Suppose that the world fully implemented the Paris Agreement. What difference would it make in global average surface temperature in the year 2100? The answer was a reduction of 0.17 degree Mm. Celsius maximum. Well, that doesn't have any impact on any ecosystem or certainly not on humanity. But what would it cost? Well, same scholar who did the study, Bjorn Lomborg of the Copenhagen Consensus Center, one of the world's leading economists working on environmental issues, calculated the cost of fulfilling the Paris Climate Agreement. It would be $1 to $2 trillion per year every year from 2030 to 2100. That's 70 to $140 trillion combined. Mm. So that 0.17 degrees Celsius equals 0.3 degree Fahrenheit. We're being asked to spend 70 to $140 trillion to reduce global average surface temperature by three-tenths of a degree Fahrenheit That is 23-point-some trillion dollars per tenth of a degree Fahrenheit temperature reduction. That's not a good deal. It's It's not not a good trade-off.
0: Biden's Environmental Protection Agency released its green renewable fuel standard requirements mandating the largest ever amount of ethanol and biodiesel in terms of a blend of the American fuel supply, requiring refiners to blend 20 billion gallons of ethanol and biodiesel. First of all, what is the source of ethanol? And secondly, does the mixture of ethanol with the gasoline improve the gas, give better gas mileage, and help the environment?
1: First off, the source of ethanol is corn and it actually makes our fuel less helpful because it reduces mileage per gallon and it also wears out our engines faster. But at the same time, ethanol turns out not to reduce our emissions of carbon dioxide therefore doesn't reduce our contribution to global warming instead we actually put more co2 into the atmosphere when we make and then burn ethanol in our fuel supply for our vehicles now the fact is that there is no scientific justification for this instead it's a purely political justification farmers Tend to be conservative. They tend to vote Republican. This is a Democratic attempt to gain farmers' votes in rural communities, farm communities. And it stems from the fact that, hey, the corn growing states have lobbyists in Washington, D.C., looking for the uh, income that they get from raising corn for ethanol. So this is all about politics. It's nothing about uh, improving climate.
0: In June of this year, the Supreme Court handed down a decision that I think was encouraging somewhat of a silver lining in this ominous storm cloud above us. West Virginia versus EPA, a 6-3 to three ruling, limited the Environmental Protection Agency's ability to limit carbon emissions from electric power plants. How do you interpret this decision, and how important is it?
1: Well, it's an extremely important decision because the fundamental thing that it said is that if a regulatory agency is considering a regulation that will have significant impact on the American economy, meaning on the American people, it has to have clear statutory mandate for that regulation. Well, <laughs> Trying to regulate carbon dioxide emissions in the United States costs hundreds of billions to trillions of dollars per year. And that's certainly a significant impact on the economy. So the problem is that the EPA wants to regulate carbon dioxide, but the statute on which it wants to base that regulation, the Clean Air Act, not only doesn't give the EPA power to regulate CO2 emissions... One revision to it made in the 1990s specifically exempts carbon dioxide emissions. So the EPA tried to get around that back in 2007, 8, and 9 with a Supreme Court decision that said that the EPA could determine whether carbon dioxide emissions were a risk to American health. And then in 2009, the EPA issued a determination, the uh, CO2 endangerment finding is what it's referred to as. And so on the basis of that, it decided it could regulate. In West Virginia versus EPA, the Supreme Court said, no, 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 you still have to meet this condition. There has to be clear statutory mandate for the kind of regulation that you're going to do if it's going to have significant economic impact. And the Clean Air Act doesn't mandate that, therefore, you can't do it. Now, this has huge implications way beyond CO2. There are all kinds of regulations that the EPA imposes and that other government agencies impose that don't have clear statutory mandate. So this could be the beginning of the tearing down of regulation all across our government as more and more challenges come to regulations that don't have statutory mandate.
0: It's been a fascinating discussion. Check out these two articles at The New American online by William Jasper, one entitled No Farmers, No Food. And the second one, Biden's War on Farmers. Dr. Calvin Beisner, founder of Cornwall Alliance for the Stewardship of Creation, has been my guest. Make sure to check out their website, cornwallalliance.org. What's the vision of your group?
1: Some people will say, we're trying to save the planet from the people who are trying to save the planet. That's the short (laughs) way to put it. (laughs) it. We're we're a network of just under 70 scholars, about a third natural scientists, a third economists, and a third theologians and philosophers. And our mission is to educate the public and policymakers on biblical earth stewardship, economic development for the poor, and the gospel of Christ, all intertwined with each other all underscored by the biblical worldview, theology, and ethics. I love it.
0: I'd love to get your feedback about my conversation today with Dr. Calvin Beisner. Send that to adam at theworldview.com. That's adam at theworldview.com. I'm Adam McManus in for Kevin Swanson on this edition of Generations Radio as we lay down a vision for the next generation.